been my life's honor to teach you the Word of God for these past almost nine and a half years, and I looked back at where um, I started when God called me and my family to move 900 miles away from everything that was familiar up to a land of cheese and beer and brats and packers and, you know, a land that we had never known before and a culture that we had never known before. And you all have embraced us well, and man, we, uh, we, we just have really treasured our time with you. And I looked back, um, and I have taught you over 480 different sermons and preached from this stage over 1,300 times. And um, I just did that for myself, not for anyone else, because I was just curious, like, how many times did I actually preach? And you're like, well, if you only did 480 sermons, did you do repeats? Nope, I never did a repeat, not one time. Uh, we had multiple services. There was time, how many of you guys remember Saturday night service back in the day? Oh, yeah, you guys were there. I remember those days, getting here at 430 for worship practice on Saturday afternoon. Um, and uh, there's just been a lot of wonderful things there. And this is what I want to say in regard to all that. Thank you for trusting me, and I appreciate you trusting um, the fact that God has been at work and you connecting to Christ and to one another, because as we've been in a season of change, this is my final service with you all, and I wanted to have a final service to share my heart. I've had a few people just kind of wonder, you know, well, why didn't Pastor Derek let his uh, final service on Palm Sunday, why didn't he let that be his final service? Why did he want to come back? And I wanted to address that because the reason that I didn't do this service before Easter was because of the very thing that I'm going to actually teach you today, because I value the Word of God most. And our team had developed a year in advance a plan for Easter and a plan for Lent and all the things that we did through our uh, series that we did, Emptied and Field. And um, I didn't want to disrupt that or break the rhythm of that to share the things on my heart that I wanted to share with you today. And I thought it was more important for us to keep our focus on Lent and on Easter and on Christ instead of the things I wanted to share with you from my heart as being your pastor for nine and a half years. So that's why we did this this way. And I just wanted to say a special thank you to the board for allowing me to do this this way and also the board uh, of elders at Bettendorf Christian Church because they're uh, not even making me burn a vacation day to be here, so which I think is fantastic. Uh, so I just wanted to thank those guys for seeing the vision on, and being big C church-minded um, and just allowing me to come and to be with you all today. I, I treasure this day to be with you all. Um, also, uh, <clears throat> this has been the most difficult sermon I've ever put together, um, hands down, and it's probably not going to be that great. Uh, but <laughs> because of the emotions that I had to go through while I was writing it, and, um, and, and I was just thinking about it, um, I had to stop several times as different emotions were coming. I'm a very emotional person. I'm a very passion-driven person, and um, I had to fight back tears a lot, and I'm going to do my best to make it through this, um, but I want us to pray and ask God to do just that. And because we want to get into his scripture today, and we want to learn from his word. Amen, church? Amen. All right, well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the beautiful worship that was offered to you through song. Thank you for just the heart of our worship team and our worship pastor, Gino. We're just so grateful for 
the way that they led us today into your presence to honor you and glorify you and get our focus and our attention on the great exchange that you have done by taking our place and how you have been that perfect sacrifice for us. And thank you for making us new and bringing us close because indeed we were far and you have brought us close to where we're sons and daughters of God, and we thank you for that, Lord. We ask you during this time to help us, Lord, to navigate the next few moments of exploring your word together. God, with our hearts being humbled before you, being teachable, ready to learn, ready to understand, and being willing to give up what we believe for the truth. And help us to see what matters most, Father, and help us keep our eyes fixed on you. And may everything said and done today in this place be done for your glory and to point people to Jesus and to magnify, Lord, you and to point hearts, Lord, to how amazing and awesome and glorious your grace is in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about embracing change. And as we talk about embracing change, we have to realize something that's very important that's constant in all of our lives is that change itself is neutral. It's not good or bad. Here's the difference. My perception of change is what makes it good or bad. Those of you who have been through the Trek program, this is some familiar language because this idea of change is often viewed as negative when it's something that I don't like, something that upsets the apple cart, something that messes up my normal rhythm, something that messes up what I'm comfortable with, even something that messes up my preferences. So when my preferences are exchanged for something different, even though that thing they're being exchanged for may be better. Better, I may put a negative attachment to change because I like things the way they were. I can tell you that it's very different anytime you, you change careers, anytime you change um, the neighborhood that you lived in, anytime that you change uh, where you may worship, anytime you may change group of friends that you hung out with. All of those things cause us to either be excited or be upset, but those things in and of themselves are not necessarily wrong or bad. Because think about it this way. I like to think about it in terms of Walmart, okay? All right, so let's just get real for a minute. Um, Walmart on the south side needs to stop moving stuff around. Uh, uh, they just need to stop. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. I just found out where everything was and you guys messed it up, but somebody in an office somewhere had an idea, hey, I think we could make the flow of people better and we could sell more of A, B, or C by moving this thing here. So to the executives and the C-level people making the decisions or upper management, that change is a good change because it's going to mean a bigger bottom line for them and it's going to be more strategic product placement. For the average consumer, there may be those who actually prefer the change because maybe they didn't like having to go all the way down this certain aisle to pick up this certain thing, and now it's been conveniently brought closer. But then there's the rest of us, what I like to call regular people. We go, why are they always moving stuff? I just found out where it was, right? I mean, come on. But every person is looking at this change very differently. And it's all impacting everyone. It's all affecting everyone. But it's not necessarily good or bad. It's your attitude towards it. It's your perception of it. There are, there's always a trade-off when you say yes to something and you say no to another thing. There's always this exchange. If you're going to say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Oh, I want to get in shape. That's a great thing. Well, you're going to have to say no to some things. 
like nacho table that I had last night at my friend's house where we dumped nachos out on the table and went to town. And let me tell you, there's been a trade-off. I won't go into detail, but let's just put it this way. There's been a trade-off. There's always an exchange. There's always something if I say yes to, I'm saying no to something else. Or if I say no to something, I'm going to be saying yes to something else because there's always this exchange happening. And we just have to learn that this is part of the rhythm of humanity. And God has set this up this way. And if we will get in our minds that change is not always bad, sometimes it is bad based on our perception, but we can still see good in it even when we don't like it, even when it inconveniences us, even when it's not lined up with our preferences, we can still see the good in it if we won't just get stuck in having to control and have things done our way. It's when we want things done our way all the time and we think the world is here to serve us, that's when we start getting in trouble. And we get stuck and we become bitter and we become angry because we just don't like the way things around us are happening. And so we want to control the environments that we're in. We want to control individuals in our lives. We want to control the way people treat us because of the way we think we deserve to be treated. And all of that stuff will affect our attitude and our heart's position and the way that we're living in our day-to-day lives. And it's not always bad. Sometimes some of the things that I perceive to be very negative changes, actually God turned those things around in my heart and helped me actually see the good in those things and they've been very beneficial to me, even difficult things. Things that God would have called good that I would at the time have called very bad, but God knew what was going to be produced through the difficulty that I would have to walk through because it wasn't, wasn't like God was going to leave me through it. It wasn't like God was going to abandon me through it or forsake me through it. It's not the path I would have chosen. Oh, I would have chosen a lot different path had God left it up to me. But I don't know what I truly need. God knows better than me. That's where trust and faith have to come into play. I have to trust God. You know better than I know. And even though all my ideas might be right, even though I might be able to perfectly set the chessboard to set me up to win and and I can look at it and all the right pieces are in the right places and then all of a sudden something happens I wasn't ready for and it messes up my plan it messes up my strategy it messes up my idea of control that's where faith is supposed to come in where I say I got to let go of all of that because it's not my chessboard it's God's and I am the one that needs to surrender instead of fighting with God and me trying to control every single piece of my life I've got to let go, and I've got to say, what if? What if this doesn't work out? What if it's bad? What if if the sky falls and everything just breaks? Well, God is still going to be with you through it, no matter how bad that it may get, because it may not necessarily be bad. It may just be your perception, and the change is actually a good thing for you. It's going to stretch you. It's going to cause you to grow. It's going to drive you to a place of deeper fellowship with God or deeper dependence or deeper repentance or whatever God may be wanting to do in your heart and in your life. But when we're resistant to it, we're missing out on the benefit of the blessing of what God is trying to work and do in us. And when we submit to that, there's joy in the suffering. There's joy in the difficulty. There's joy in the season of change that I may not like. There can be joy in that because God is faithful. And I need to remind myself of His faithfulness when things may not be going my way. Amen? go over to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at Abram real quick. Genesis 12. I 
I left my Bible at home, so I had to borrow one of the pew Bibles or the, the loner Bibles back there. And so it's a little unfamiliar to me. Right? I'm used to just being here on the podium and it's gone, right? Uh, so <laughs> Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's this great promise that God gives to Abram, but it's going to require an exchange. There's something that God's wanting to do in him, but it's going to require that Abram trusts God. And he didn't say, hey, if you feel like it. He didn't say, hey, the road's going to be easy. Everything's going to work out for you. Hey, there's not going to be any difficulty. Why don't you just say yes to me now? No, he says, I've got a plan for you. And I want to do something great in you and through you, but here's what it's going to require. It's going to require you leave everything that you've ever known and everything that you ever thought was familiar, everything you ever called good, everything you worked so hard to try to build up, all your connections, all your network, everything that you have spent your entire life knowing as your day-to-day rhythm and routine, I want you to abandon all of those things because I want to do something else. And that doesn't seem fair to us because we think, well, we've worked so hard, we've done so much, and what if it doesn't work out? That's our question we always ask when God is stretching us and calling us, but he's wanting us to trust him, and so Abram had to choose here in this moment, he had to trust that what God had said was going to come about as true, and that God's definition of good was going to be better than if Abram had stayed. And he had to trust that. He had to trust the word of the Lord. And could you imagine sitting down with Sarai, his wife? Could you imagine what that dinner went like? So, uh, yeah, honey, um, this is a great roast, by the way. I mean, this is is your best one I think you've ever done. This is a fantastic meal. Um, You know, I talked to God today. You talked to God? Yeah, he, he spoke to me. And um, yeah, um, I really love this gravy. You did a great job on the gravy. Did you get this? Is this your mother's recipe? Because I think you've done a better job than she does on it. It's so good. So, um, so anyways, God, God, God spoke to me today, yeah? And he said that we're going to move. Okay, well, that's okay. Well, well so we're, we're moving to the next town where your cousin lives? Oh, no, no. Where are we going? I don't know. <laughs> How long is it going to take? Uh, I don't know. Oh, you mean we're just going to pack up everything and we're going to leave? And uh, so our family, like all your siblings and all of our relatives, they're going <clears> to, <throat> I'll just have to, we're going to ask all them to come. Oh, no, actually, we're going to tell them they can't come. <laughs> oh, really? Could you imagine this conversation that he's having with his wife? The faith that it takes for them to step out, the faith that it takes for them to ask all the questions and all the what ifs, but God gave them a word, God gave Abram a promise, and it was Abram's job to trust and obey, because we don't see all the stuff that happens in between. We just read three token verses. We don't know the wrestle. We don't know the struggle. All we know is that the Lord said to Abram, go into a land you've never been, don't take any of your family with you, and he goes, okay. And it may have been that clean, it may have been that clear, I don't know. But if it was me, it wouldn't have been that clean and clear. 
but I'm not Abram and I'm not in the Bible and I'm just nobody, right? But at the same time, it took a measure of faith that was extraordinary because actually scripture refers to Abraham as the friend of God. Why was he a friend of God? It was because he trusted. It was because he knew that if God said this, that he trusted that God said, and that was good enough for him. And he was willing to forsake everything in order to follow what God had for him. And he was willing to embrace the change, even with all of the unknowns ahead. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 19. Let's look at a different story. Matthew 19 and verse 16, and behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So this young man asked Jesus, he's saying, what do I have to do to live forever, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you just need to follow the commandments. And this guy goes, okay, well, verse 18, which ones? Like there's like better commandments than other ones, right? Well, Jesus said, eh, eh, you shall not commit murder. It's a good one. Um, you shall not commit adultery. It's another good one. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this young man is going, all right. This is excellent. And he said, verse 20, the young man said, well, all these I've kept. And what he's waiting to hear from Jesus is, you're in. Because you did all the stuff. You don't have to do anything else. You've done everything you needed to do. The guy's feeling pretty good about himself because he's feeling better than everybody else. He's going, yeah. I imagine if there was a crowd around here in this rich young ruler, he's kind of like, yeah, I got this. I did this. I've got this. And so I want to follow Jesus. Verse 20, the young man said to them, all these I've kept. And he says, uh, what do I lack? What do I lack? And he was hoping to hear nothing. But Jesus said to him this in verse 21, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give it to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See, this guy couldn't make the cut. He wasn't willing to give up his comfort. He wasn't willing to give up familiarity. He wasn't willing to give up the things that he had treasured. He wasn't willing to obey the call of God because he didn't truly trust in what Jesus was saying. And he truly wasn't trusting in Christ. He was trusting in himself. And we see he was trusting in himself because he was kind of boasting in that moment in himself by looking to what do I have to do? What, what, what do I have to do? What do I lack? And obviously the guy is hoping to hear you don't lack anything. You've been such a good boy. You've done all the right things. You've checked all the right boxes. And he's hoping to hear job well done. And Jesus just busts him out in front of everybody. And the guy doesn't like it because he's thinking, oh, Jesus, I, 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 I don't, I, I'll follow you, but only this far. Jesus, I'll say yes to you, but only this far. I'll embrace change, but only this far. Until it begins to affect, you know, the things that I hold dear and the things that I treasure and the things that I've elevated. And for some of us, that may be familiarity, comfort, it may be finances, it may be um, your status in the community, 
whatever it is that you treasure is that thing that's got your heart, that when Jesus is calling you, you'll only go so far until it requires you be willing to give up those things. Because the moment you have to start giving up those things and sacrificing those things, you start drawing the line and going, whoa, 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 whoa. I worked really hard to get here. Okay? You have no idea how many years I've invested in this or in that or in this or in that. And you just want me to walk away from it in order to pursue God and to follow Him? You want me? I worked so hard. Look at all of the treasures and the trophies. Look at all the stuff that I had. And it's the same story as the rich young ruler. Look at all my comforts. Look at how easy life has been. Why would God want me to abandon all of this? It doesn't make sense. And so to the rich young ruler, it wasn't worth it. It just wasn't worth the exchange. He didn't trust that Jesus' path was better than the path he had already created for himself. He was treating Jesus like just an additional spice that maybe makes the flavor a little better. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll spice up my life a little bit with, by sprinkling a little Jesus on it instead of just trusting him and abandoning him and saying, no, Jesus, you're everything. It's not that Jesus is some, some, some side attraction. It's not like Jesus is secondary. No, he was saying, I'm worth you doing this, but the guy couldn't do it. So what was the difference then between Abram and the rich young ruler? Abram was willing to go forsake all. Rich young ruler was willing to be a moral person, but when it got to the stuff that he was being asked to forsake, he wasn't willing to forsake it. The difference was, did you truly value what God said and trust that God was truly good? Do you think he's going to see you through it? Did he say he was going to do it or not? Has God ever abandoned you before? Does God have like this track record? of just leaving you hanging high and dry? No, he doesn't. Because even through the worst seasons we've gone through, even through the most difficult of times, we can still see and praise him for his faithfulness. Even in the most difficult times. It's easy for us to praise God when things are going good, right church? It's a lot more difficult when things aren't going my way, when things are changing, or when God's requiring me to change. But I'm just wanting to keep things as they were because I like it as they were. I like the path we were on. I like the trajectory we were going. And, 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 and I don't want to adjust. And God's like, it's, it's not up to you. And God's going to do this in your life. And, and, and people have asked me during this season of transition, you know, kind of what brought you to this place of transition? And uh, because it's something that we all face. And it, you may not be called to leave this town necessarily. You may not be called to, you know, um, go and start a new career or whatever the case may be, but there will be things that God requires you to give up in order to say yes to something else. There's going to be things God puts in front of you that he illuminates to you that he's telling you it's time to walk away from this and it's time to embrace this, or it's time to let this thing go and start embracing this other thing, this thing that you've been holding on to, whatever it may be, whatever it may be. And you may look at that change as bad. And you may look at all the things you have to go through, but God sees it as good. And God's wanting to use it for his glory. And what happened <clears throat> in my wife and I, excuse me, <clears throat> is when we were processing and dealing with change, we began to first just sense an unsettling. And we didn't know if it was us or if it was the Lord. And it wasn't because anything negative was driving our emotions or our thoughts or our, our prayers. We just began to sense and unsettling. And I said, I don't know what this is, but we need to pray about this. And she said, yes, we do. So we began to pray. And then I began to kind of, you know, feel like I needed to take that next step. 
And that next step was finding good godly counsel. Talking to godly men and women that you trust, people who have proven themselves faithful, who have fruit in their lives. And when you invest time with people and you can share your heart with people and you can be transparent when you can be vulnerable with people and you can say, hey, listen, this is what I'm discerning. This is what I'm processing. They can speak into that because they know you. And when they know you, if they really know you and they really love you, they're going to be honest with you about what you're processing and what you're dealing with. And they're going to say, hey, sounds like bad pizza. <laughs> you know, or they're going to say perhaps even, well, could it be these outside factors because I know you and you have these tendencies and you have these patterns and they can help speak to that. And so that was part of our discernment process was seeking out wise counsel. And this was a period of over six months to uh, six, seven months or so of talking regularly to different people. Um, and, and as you begin to see these confirming things, you just keep following that and God begins to reveal and show you what the next step is. Now, he doesn't show you how it's all going to work out. It wasn't like one day I woke up and God said, Bettendorf Christian Church, because that's how God talks, I guess. I don't know. Bettendorf Christian Church, 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 church. And I'm like, I got to Google that. What is that? No, that's, that's not how it happened. And sometimes we want that. And we feel like because we're not having that and it's not this mystical, you know, magical thing that it's not God. That God works in practical things too. Did you know that? Oh, oh, let me say that again because you're not paying attention. You're thinking about something else. You're thinking about how bad my impression was because that's not how God speaks. <laughs> uh, I forgot what I was going to say. But um, God works in the practical stuff. Amen? Amen? He does. He works in the practical stuff. Sometimes things start to make sense. Sometimes God asks you to do things that don't make sense. So sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. That's where faith is required. Could you imagine... The, the, the dinner table discussion of Abram and Sarai, how did that go? Does this make sense? Do we really trust God? Are we really going to follow him? God has proven himself faithful. He's made a promise. We have to trust him. The rich young ruler very quickly surmised it's not worth it. I'm not going to follow God this far. I'm going to just abandon the thing that I was actually asking about, and I'm going to pursue my own path to eternal life because he wanted to have both. He wanted to have his security. He wanted to have his, his, his riches. He wanted to have the thing he had worked so hard for. He wanted to take that with him, and he wanted to try to go back and find a way in his own strength instead of trusting in Christ. And if we're going to follow God, we have to discern. We have to know we're hearing the voice of the Lord, yes. But then when we do feel and hear that voice stirring us and leading us, and as we've discerned, we have to step out and we have to trust, and we have to take that step, whatever it may be. And it may be an easy one. It may be a baby step. It may have a bunch of unknowns further down the road, but we still have to say yes to what he's leading us to do. But when things around me feel unstable, when change is happening around me and it feels unstable, I must embrace the thing that's constant. I must trust in the Lord. Amen? Jesus gives this uh, great parable that, you know, we've sang in Sunday school, if you grew up in church, Matthew 7. 24 through 27, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand 
and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. There has to be something stable in the middle of all of this. There has to be something constant in the middle of all the change. And folks, it has to be us standing on what God has said. Amen? Because as what He has said, as what He's promised, what He has shown us of Himself in His Word is going to be that thing that anchors us because God is not going to lead us outside of what He's already shown us about His character and His nature. So if you want to know, does God do things that way? Well, look to the Scripture and ask yourself, does God do things that way? Because God has shown us who He is. He's shown us how He leads. He does call people out of things that were comfortable into things uncomfortable. Okay, that's a character thing that I can learn about God through the Scripture. And when I know that about God, when He's calling me into something that is uncomfortable outside of what is comfortable, I have to discern, is that truly God? Because I know God does things that way. I know God leads people that way. Is he perhaps leading me that way? Is he perhaps leading you that way? So when things feel unstable, I have to embrace what's constant. Maybe some of you have been dealing with a lot of emotions. You've been dealing with a lot of thoughts with stuff going on in your life or stuff going on in the world or maybe even stuff going on in the church. Church, can I encourage you and exhort you to embrace what is constant and embrace the word of God and see the character and the nature of God a lot of times people read the Bible the wrong way, all right? They read the Bible and they look for themselves in the Scripture. Can I encourage you to stop looking for yourself in the Scripture and instead start looking for God? So many people want to pair themselves up with other people in the Bible to identify, and, and, and there's some benefit to that. I'm not saying that that's totally wrong, but if we just go to the Bible to look for ourselves, we're missing out on seeing who God is because we're looking for us. And we're looking for someone to identify with instead of looking for God because as we read some stories, have you ever read stories in Genesis? Like when you get past Genesis 3, it gets like super weird, right? Everyone who wants to start a Bible reading plan January 1, I'm going to read the Bible through this year. Oh, Genesis 1, got it. Check. Genesis 2, check. All right, creation, Adam and Eve, animals, sin, serpent, fall. Yeah, got it. Genesis 4, oh, oh, that's weird. Who was Cain's wife? Was it his sister? Oh, that's weird. How does that work? Oh, oh, Genesis 5, Genesis 6, Genesis 7, oh, the Nephilim, the sons of God, him, angels, demons, what? What is that? Lot did what with his daughters? What? Uh, I don't want to do this anymore. And I get it, because it gets strange. And people have a hard time reading the Scripture, and they'll get discouraged because I can't find me anymore. And can I tell you that, yeah, there's a lot of cultural nuances that you and I don't understand, and there's a lot of things and timelines and gaps that we don't understand in the Scripture. We just don't, we can theorize about it. We can do our best to, to research those things, but we just weren't there. We don't know. There's a lot of things we just have to be okay with not knowing. So what do I do with those texts that strike me as strange? Stop looking for why did this person do this or why was it okay that this person did this or how did this work and start looking for what did God do? What did God say? What did God uh, tell them to do? How did they respond to God? And what did God do in the aftermath? If you start looking for God, you'll start learning the character and the rhythm and the nature of God and you'll stop getting discouraged in those more difficult texts. You'll be very encouraged because you'll go, oh, I see something about God here. 
God doesn't like this. God does like this. God requires this. When this type of stuff happens, God moves these ways. And so then I can look at my own life and I can see how God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. People are crazy and God's still the same. If that's not worth amen, I don't know what is. And this is one of the very first things that I taught as the pastor of Word of Grace. And I said it all the time in my first few years. The Word of God is true and I believe it. The Word of God is true and I believe it. And this is your bottom line for today. The Word of God is true and I believe it. So many people get this backwards. They think that they make something true because they believe it. They think, I believe the Word of God, therefore that makes it true. And they live by their truth, and that's backwards. It's not my belief validates the Scripture, and now that I believe it, the Word of God has become true for me, and truth is, is relative. No, no, no. The Word of God is going to be true, constant. That rock that we read about in the parable of the wise and the foolish man The Word of God is true regardless of what people do, regardless of which way culture swings and the direction of culture and what people try to demonize or what they try to celebrate. The Word of God is true, and I believe it. So that means if the Word of God is true and I believe it and I start there, if that's my starting place, that means there are going to be times in life that I am not going to be popular. That means there's going to be times in life where I may not always be accepted. There may be times in life that I get required by God to go and do things that are outside of what people would call normal and acceptable or even understandable or practical. But I still do it. Why? Because I start with the Word of God is true and I believe it. And it navigates and guides and leads me every single way way that I go. This is why we always say this at Word of Grace. We have to be willing to give up what we believe for the truth. Because if we live our life simply because I believe something, what if I'm believing wrong? Can I tell you that the Muslim is growing up with a skewed belief and a wrong belief and a wrong idea of God? Can I tell you that the Hindu is growing up with a skewed belief and a wrong belief of God? Can I tell you that the Buddhist is growing up with a skewed belief and a wrong belief of God? Can I tell you that the atheist, the agnostic, can I tell you they have a skewed and wrong view of God? So where do I find truth? Because if I just want to make it up, then I'm just saying, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay, why can't we all just be friends? And we can love and we can be friends, but I can't say that there are many paths to heaven because the scripture says there is only one way to heaven and his name is Jesus. He's the truth, he's the life, and no man comes to the Father except by him. And if I believe that, then that's going to change the way that I live my life day to day. I have a different priority now. And it's going to shape the way I interact with other people. It's going to shape what I'm concerned with. It's going to shape how I respond to the world, world's news and what's happening in the world. Because something has grounded me that when the storms come, when the floods come, when the challenges arise, when change happens, all of a sudden I can trust in the next step that God has called me to because He is faithful. But I have to know Him. And I have to know his character. And I have to know his nature. Embracing change means I must trust in God and his word. And listen, here's the beautiful part of it. 
that is where my rest is found. You can rest in the middle of the challenges and the changes that you may be facing. You can find joy in the journey, in the middle of the challenge and the change you're facing. By returning and staying and reminding yourself of the solid rock of who God has shown himself to you and I through his word. My hope is not in my ability to control my circumstances and to keep my preferences in check. If that's where my hope is, my hope's going to run out real quick. All I got to do is turn on the news. All I got to do is, you know, try to control outcomes. If that's where my hope is, I'm going to be lost. But my hope is not in my ability. My hope is in Christ alone. And that hope is founded on the Word of God that shows me God's nature. It shows me God's character. And it shows His plan to bring me back from a place of hopelessness into right standing with him by adopting me into his family. That's why we say yes to greater things, because we're called to live in light of eternity. We are supposed to say yes to those greater things, because you and I have a call to live in light of eternity. This is why we embrace change. This is why we don't give up or quit. This is why we persevere, because we are called to live in light of eternity. You're called to live in light of eternity. Every single day, at your job, at your raising your children, spending time with your grandchildren, interacting with your neighbor, whatever the case may be, we are called to live in light of eternity every single day. That means I have a different priority with the relationships that I have. That means, am I discipling? Am I evangelizing? Am I sharing the gospel? Am I living the gospel? Am I being the hands and feet of Jesus? Am I serving others? Am I caring about one another? Am I, am I caring for others and, 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 and inconveniencing myself on purpose to let other people know I care about them and their well-being even over my own? Only Christ can put that type of heart in someone. Amen? And I constantly am challenged every day to remind myself to say yes to those greater things because we are called to live in light of eternity. And sometimes saying yes to the greater things requires that we embrace change. It requires that we let go of comfort. It requires that we let go of ease. Just like that rich young ruler, Jesus was requiring him to let go of comfort and, and everything he had built in order to embrace something that was new and something that was not even on his radar because he thought he, he was doing a good job. And then all of a sudden, something, something changes, something rattles a little bit, and now all of a sudden, he's faced with a choice. Is following Jesus worth it? And I hope that <clears throat> through our time together that you have seen and felt and heard and, and embraced the idea of saying yes to greater things, and you've seen that he is worth it. And Jesus is enough, amen? And he never stops being enough. So, as we wrap up this morning, I want to exhort you to whoever um, ends up becoming the lead pastor at Word of Grace, embrace that change. Welcome them and their family, whether it's someone that you're familiar with or someone that you're unfamiliar with. 
We don't know what God's going to do. I'm not a part of those conversations. I don't know. I'm praying for a word of grace. I will always love word of grace, and I will always, I'm, and I'm just nosy, so I'll want to know what's going on. Um, but I have dear friends here. I raised my kids here, okay? Um, my kids were four and five when we moved here. My kids grew up in Wisconsin, and they say things like egg and dragon and, you know, and beg, and they say those things, and they think it's normal, and it's not, but <clears throat> they don't think anything about, you know, having a, a double brat on a hard roll, you know, and once and so, and all that stuff, and, uh, and they think that's normal. Good for them. They're, 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 they're true Wisconsinites. They bleed green and gold, so... Um, but uh, cool thing about Iowa is that there's lots of Packer fans, so I've been seeing lots of lo- lots of G's around. Um, but uh, <laughs> not the kind of G we were talking about no earlier, no. <laughs> but <laughs> but but I mean it's changed. It's different. It's it's hard. You know I get it. Um, I've been going through a myriad of emotions, and I'm just really thankful and grateful. And I want you to embrace the new pastor, and I want you to embrace Pastor Stephen as he's the interim as well. And here's something that you got to do, whether you liked my style of leadership and teaching and preaching or whether you didn't, um, that's between you and Jesus, but um, don't compare, okay? Um, Don't compare. Give that leader the space to be themselves. Give their family the space to be themselves and embrace them as who they are because they're going to be gifted differently, and that's okay. Um, there is not another Derek Armstrong on the planet, thank God, and um, there is not another Stephen Maris and whoever may end up filling this role. There's not another one of them either. Um, God made us all individually, and he made us unique, and whatever giftings they bring, embrace those giftings and support those things and support one another. Love one another well through these times, and don't forget that a church cannot be built and should not be built on the personality of any person, no matter how charismatic that personality is. It should be built on the Word of God, amen? And the Word of God is constant, and it doesn't change. And so therefore, pastors may change, roles may change, personalities will change, and you may not like it at first. But how many times have you not liked something at first, but then after a while you went and said, okay, God, I see what you did, And I'm glad that I didn't abandon ship during the process. So I want to exhort you, church, if you're called here, take that calling seriously. Don't be a consumer who just bounces around because your preferences aren't being met. Be someone who chooses to say, yes, I'm affirming the call that God's put in my life to be a part of this church family because he's called me here. And I don't know what the future is going to look like, but I'm going to embrace it. And I'm going to pray for our next leader. I'm going to pray for our church family. I'm going to pray for our search committee, pray for our board. Be that type of Christian. I believe you all are mature enough in Christ to be those types of Christians. I I do. I I truly believe that. And you want to know why I believe that? Because I know the type of scriptures that have been invested in you. And I know what you have been growing in and how God has used the ministry of Word of Grace to help grow you and how his spirit's working in you, because I've been right alongside you doing it with you for these past years. So I know that you can be those mature disciples of Christ who are able to embrace change and navigate change. 
Just remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And stand firm on the solid rock of the Word of God. Amen? Let me pray for you. Lord, help us to embrace the changes that you have set before us. Uh, help me to embrace the changes of my new role and our families, new uh, uh, residents and new relationships and um, new responsibilities. And help us to do that and navigate that well and help Word of Grace to continue to be that city set on a hill. Help them to love God, love people, and serve the world well. Help them to grow continually in their hunger for truth and let them continually be willing to give up what they have come to believe or think for the truth. Let them say yes to greater things, Lord. I pray you would help them to live by the values, God, that we see clearly in your word that we've tried to ascribe it, word of grace to keep Jesus at the center. Lord, I pray that people would just be filled with a spirit of prayer to deepen their dependence on you, to strengthen their trust in you, and to trust you every step of the way, God, as you lead us and guide us into all truth. We thank you for our time together. We count it a blessing, and we just pray, Father, for your blessing upon the future, your wisdom and guidance for those who are in decision-making uh, roles, and we pray for, Lord, you to bring about the end result that will bring you glory and help your church to be stronger than ever before as it goes into the future. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.